so thankful to be again in the house of the living God and to worship alongside you, dear ones, and to begin our year in this way, praying that we will be steadfast as Pastor Nathan has challenged us. Before we begin our few remarks this morning, I'd like to ask Brother Andy, if you don't mind, to lead us in a word of prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles with us to the Old Testament book of Genesis. We'd like to begin our remarks by directing your attention to a passage that's found in Genesis chapter 32 in the life of a man named Jacob. We'd like to title our study this morning, Walking with a Limp. In Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 24, we read these words from the pen of Moses. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted, or limped, upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. This morning we think about Jacob 
not only as a historical figure, but as an example in many ways uh, of our own lives. And I'd like to see from God's word how that this is a testimony to the sufficiency of God's grace, grace that we find is our sufficiency, grace that we desire, we pray for, we ask for. In our prayer request this morning, Brother Jimmy, we, we ask for that grace to, to, to manifest the right way to go and to be steadfast in the work that our Lord has called us to do. Jacob is a wonderful illustration of God's dealings with his people in every age. I find it interesting that in the seven revelations that God manifested to Jacob, this pre-incarnation of Christ himself is portrayed. I do not doubt that this is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ appearing to Jacob at a very point in time of crisis, a, a time of great need, a time that each one of us can fellowship a time when we're not sure what tomorrow is going to bring, but we're trusting God for his sufficiency to give us the strength and the ability to face that conflict or that crisis in a way that would be pleasing to him. I want to remind us of an earlier time, 20 years before this event happened in the life of Jacob, uh, God gave him his first uh, manifestation back over in chapter 28. In Genesis chapter 28, we read where uh, Isaac has charged Jacob to go to Laban's uh, country and to take a wife of Laban, which he would ultimately do. In fact, he would take two of the daughters of Laban on this occasion. And I want to remind us of how God is going to manifest himself to Jacob uh, portion by portion to bring him to the place where he could walk with his limp. In Genesis chapter 28, you know, Isaac commands him to go uh, to Padan Aram, and take a wife of Laban, uh, in verse 2, Laban, thy mother's brother. And uh, verse 3, he says, And God Almighty, that's El Shaddai, God Almighty shall bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and thou mayest be a multitude of people. Now this must have been curious to the ears of Jacob. But he was listening to Isaac's blessing, and he was understanding that the multitude of blessings that awaited him were based not upon his own worthiness, but upon the sovereignty of God in the life of this man, Jacob. Now, going on down in this journey, in verse 10 of Genesis 28, we read, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for pillows and uh, lay down in that place to sleep. 
Now here he is alone again in the providence of God and he's in a, 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 a wilderness experience, if you will, a, a, a wilderness encounter with, with the God of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And he takes stones. You know, to my mind, this represents hard places, um, stones. You know, you can imagine uh, sleeping on a, a stone. And, and this is very representative of, of the hard places that we endure in this wicked and broken world. But he dreams a dream. Listen to this. In verse 12, he dreamed and behold a ladder, or it could be termed a staircase, that is set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Now remember, this was even before he was married. God is speaking to him and reaffirming the covenant that he had given originally to Abraham and then passed it on to Isaac. And now he's going to affirm or reaffirm it to Jacob. And he says... Uh, all this land I am going to give unto thee. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And here's the key verse, verse 15. And behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. And for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Now to me, Jacob here is a, a, a picture of a lost soul. He's in the dark, as it were. He's feeling abandoned. He's alone in the world. He's running. He's running for his life. He's running away from Esau. He's running away from a crisis or a, a conflict in his life. He's burdened with his own sin in the deception of his own blind father. Because through the instrumentality of his mother... Uh, Jacob would uh, deceive his blind father. He would, he would actually take the cloak of Esau and wear it. He would put wool on his hands and on the back of his neck. And he would lower his voice, something like this. And his father Isaac would say, Who art thou? What is your name? It's Esau. And he'd say, come near me, my son. And he felt his hands in the back of his neck and he thought, this must be Esau. Then he kissed him and he smelt the garment that he wore and he was wearing the garment of Esau. This must be Esau. And as you recall in the story, Isaac blessed him. But you know, that deception, that darkness, that blindness is something that Jacob would always carry with him 
in regret. Because, see, the blessings of God and the covenant blessings that God had intended to pour out upon Jacob had nothing to do with the worthiness of Jacob. Had nothing to do with the imagination of his mother. It was God's intent. It was God's design. It was God's plan to bless Jacob and to honor him because he loved Jacob even before Jacob loved him. He loved Jacob not because of his worthiness or his um, foreseen obedience, but because of the decree and design of God himself in the wise and holy counsel of his own providence, he determined to love Jacob and hate Esau. Somebody says, well, God never hated anyone. But the Bible says that he hated Esau. Don't ever forget that. And God loved Jacob with an unconditional, merciful, gracious love that he has for us. I want us to look at that for a little while this morning. And I want us to remember verse 15 as we go through these uh, uh, other verses this morning. I, I want to notice that in the dark night of our soul, the only thing that can pierce it and pierce that darkness is found in four areas in verse 15. The presence of God, the promise of God, the power of God, and the purpose of God. I want you to think about those four things as we go through these verses this morning. Because when we're talking about walking with a limp, we're talking about walking in acknowledgement of our own weakness, of our own insufficiency, inadequacy. We're going to be brought to the same place as Jacob was brought to trust in the presence, the promise, the power, and the purpose of God in our life. When we're talking about the presence of God in verse 15, he says, I am with thee. The God that we are here to worship and adore this morning is a God that is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is the God who is present with us, not only in the good times, but also in the bad. He's with us before we ever uh, are with him. He knows us before we ever know him. He loves us before we ever love him. I am with thee, Jacob. I am with thee. And his promise is not only re related to physical things like land, but, uh, and, and, and this is uh, important for us to realize. His promises go with us through all of our struggles and all of our conflicts, all of the various storms that we must face in this life. We are not going to have to face them alone, but trusting in that unseen hand, trusting in the ability of God to not only promise us, but also the power to bring about that promise. He is El Shaddai. We're not trusting in man. 
We're not trusting in our own righteousness this morning. We are trusting in the power and the promise that comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But what of the purpose of our struggles? What of the purpose uh, that what is God teaching us through our valley experiences? I believe he's teaching us that he is sovereign over all of life. He is sovereign over all of our experiences. I believe uh, literally true, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that knowing that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. See, God is a God of design. He's a God of purpose. If we can just understand that, there is a purpose always in our struggles and in our sufferings. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4, when Moses was writing his great uh, uh, a song, uh, we, we find that he mentions Jacob. He says, and God found Jacob in a waste howling wilderness. He found him alone. He found him in conflict. He found him in struggle. He found him in a position of, of doubt and fear. Uh, a, a, a time where he didn't see a way out. I wonder if any of us have experienced that. If you haven't experienced it, you will. If you haven't gone through some storms, just hang on a little while. They're coming. And Jacob is a picture of that. And Jacob... In every conflict, he had seven major conflicts in his life. Every conflict in his life, God would appear to him in that time of trial and he would reaffirm his gracious promise. He would reaffirm his power and he would reaffirm that, Jacob, there's a purpose. There's a purpose in the struggles and the trials that you're going through to go through. Always remember that. There's a purpose for it. I love what Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 when he says we are confident. We have a confidence. We don't have a perfect knowledge or a perfect understanding of what God's doing in our life, but we are confident of this very thing that he that hath begun a good work in you shall perform it, shall complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, the God that we are worshiping today is the God of Jacob. He, he's, he is the God whose presence is with us. He is the God whose promise is for us. He is the God whose power is in us. And uh, he is a God of purpose. Now, underscore that as we go through this study this morning. I want you to now turn your Bible to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. Here we find uh, an experience in the prophet of uh, Elijah where he's confronting the false prophets and priests of Baal and he's going to speak a word to the nation of Israel because Israel's got a problem and it's called syncretism. They're trying to mix the religion of the world with the religion of Christ or God. They're, they're trying to mix the two, synchronize them. 
But Elijah says something in verse 21. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long shall ye halt? There it is. Limping. Between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal be God, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. The reason they couldn't answer him is because they lost sight of what true religion is. They lost sight of what true worship is all about. They lost sight of the very uh, image of God as seen through the eyes of Jacob. They lost sight of that. They lost sight of the promise. They lost sight of the power. They lost sight of the purpose. And they answered not a word. I love what Ravi Zacharias said about this verse years ago. He said, the people here in this text gave up on God so they didn't have an answer. They couldn't answer a word. And he said, without God, there is no truth. Without truth, there is no justice. Without justice, there is no hope. Without hope, there is no answer. And if there is no answer, then why should we question? I thought that was so insightful. Here is the condition of the descendants of Jacob. They're acting like Jacob acted in his flesh. And Elijah is going to confront them as a faithful uh, prophet of the Lord. He's going to confront them with their indifference toward the truth of God. And I think that's the calling of a prophet. And as you know the rest of the story, how that God answered the prayer of Elijah and sent fire down from heaven, accepting the sacrifice, and the people were persuaded again that the Lord, He is God. I believe that in a very real way, we need to be confronted often with God's word to remind us of who we are. And you're sitting there this morning and you know a lot of us are bruised and mangled by uh, uh, the various afflictions and conflicts uh, of this world. A lot of us uh, have gone through many a storm and a lot of us have been challenged in our faith of who we really are. In our text, I want to notice something uh, that God said to Jacob on this occasion. Have you ever wondered about that? He said, what is your name? What is your name? Now, isn't that curious? You don't think the Lord knew the name of Jacob? What is your name? Don't you think that there was a reason he asked that question? Because previously... He said he was Esau. Previously, when he was asked that question, he lied. He forgot his true identity. He covered it up, as it were. He was confused in that uh, uh, situation. And I believe that many times what the devil is trying to do to the people of God is to confuse their identity. Make them forget who they really are. And they become someone else or something else. But God always calls us to understand who we really are in God. 
who we really are in Christ. How long are we going to halt, limp along between two opinions? We cannot come to the place where we combine the worship of Jehovah with devotion to any other God. Our allegiance this morning must be resolute. Our allegiance this morning must be steadfast. We must stand upon the foundation of God's holy word. And we must understand who we are in Christ. If we fail to do that, we're going to continue to walk with a limp. Now, let us go to the book of Isaiah before we go to the New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 35, I thought about this this morning when I first uh, got out uh, and, and opened the scriptures. I, I, was, I was thinking about this particular verse uh, or passage and uh, it fits so well. Listen to what is prophetically set before us concerning Christ's kingdom and the coming of Jesus um, 700 years before he came. In Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 1, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy in singing. And the glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, and the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not, remember who you are. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even with uh, the God, uh, with the recompense. He will come and save you. Then, he says, shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. In other words, when the Messiah comes, he's going to take that which is lame that which is broken, that which does not function well. He's going to recover it. He's going to bring about a saving grace. And I believe that this is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. Why do you say that? Now we go to the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 11. Let's look at it together. In Matthew chapter 11, listen to this. Matthew is writing about the identity of Jesus Christ and, and what he was sent to accomplish. And, and he says in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 11, he says uh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom I am, my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. Listen to this. He shall not strive, nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, listen, a bruised reed shall he not break. 
and a smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. You know, Matthew is pointing to the ministry of Jesus Christ and he's saying when the Messiah comes, instead of, instead of a completely breaking an individual who has been bruised by sin and conflict or, or sorrow of some kind, he says instead of breaking it apart and throwing it away, he's going to restore it to its full strength. The flickering uh, 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 lampstick, the, the, the wick of a lamp, and instead of uh, uh, completely snuffing it out, he's going to reignite it so that it burns brightly. This is the characteristic of the Messiah. And how is he going to show that Christ was a fulfillment of this particular prophecy? He goes on. Watch this. He says, uh, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he, what, what did he do? He healed him. He healed him to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, insomuch that the blind and the dumb spake uh, and saw. You see what he's doing here, beloved brethren. He is uh, showing us, uh, demonstrating uh, to us that Jesus Christ that came in the flesh is the very angel, as it were, that appeared unto Jacob in the Old Testament. He's the very one that came and blessed him to know him and to know his power and his promise and his uh, great and overriding uh, purpose. He is the one that came in this uh, uh, context, and he is bringing healing to the lame. He's bringing healing uh, to the, uh, those in conflict and those in sorrow. This is the Messiah. This is the one that Isaiah was talking about. This is the one that came through the lineage of Jacob himself. Have you ever wondered why God preserved any of uh, Jacob's descendants? Because remember the promise that was made to him. He said, in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God must preserve Judah and bring them back from Babylonian captivity. He must do that. Why? Because Jesus Christ would be born through the tribe and the descendancy of Judah. And Judah, of course, is the fourth son of Jacob. I want you to see that connection as we go through this. Jesus healed the lame. He healed uh, those that were not able to heal themselves. He brought, um, he brought life uh, to the ones that uh, uh, he, he, he had uh, chosen uh, before the foundation of the world. Now, as we consider this, we consider how that Christ in his um, healing ministry, in his teaching ministry, uh, revealed that he was the very son of God. He would say in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John to those unbelieving Jews, you know, they came to him and says, you know, you've, uh, let's see, look what you've done. You've, you've uh, um, uh, given eyesight to the blind, and, right? And you've made the deaf to hear, right? And you've made the lame to walk, right? And you've even raised a few dead folks, right? And you even walked on water once. Isn't that right, Jesus? Now, uh, now show us something real. Show us something uh, more powerful, you know. Uh, I, I'm telling you, 
They, they, they saw all, they were witnesses of all these witnesses, uh, 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 miracles, and yet they questioned who he was. Only God could do those kind of things. Would you, would you give me an amen on that? Only God. And Jesus says, well, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, believe me for the work's sake. On one occasion, do you remember when they brought the man that was a paraplegic and they lowered him down to the roof? Do you remember that story? They lowered him down to the roof. <laughs> and Jesus said something to that man. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And boy, that caused a stir, didn't it? You know why? Because they said only God can forgive sin. And Jesus said that you might know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the paraplegic, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. I don't know if you've seen the, the show Chosen. That's one of the miracles that they have in, in that, uh, in that uh, story. I tell you what, when that man stood up, in, in that story, and you, you know, you, the, the, the emotion, you've you got to remember, this is a man that can't, he's a paraplegic. He, there's nothing he can do to help himself. And Jesus tells him to take up his bed and walk. And when that man in that movie stood up, I, I, I couldn't help but cry. Because that's exactly the way I view it. That's exactly the way I imagine the emotion that had to be present there when that man that was a paraplegic got up on his own and took up his bed and walked out the door. And everybody just stood and watched in amazement. Now you would think everybody would rejoice and say, Hallelujah, this has got to be the Messiah. But the Pharisee says, You know, this man's a blasphemer. Because only God can forgive sin. And this man is carrying his bedroll on the Sabbath day. What do you do with things like that? What were they looking at? They were lifting up their traditions above the revealed word of God. Do you see that? Who then was the blasphemer? Who then was the lame? You see, I believe that by nature, all of us limp. But there is another kind of limp that comes to the people of God after they have gone through an affliction and a conflict. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that each one of us have a limp in some ways. I, I, I see that limp in Peter. After he had denied Christ and yet he was restored, but he never forgot that. He never forgot where the grace of God found him. He never forgot his failure. And I don't think we should either. But I do not believe that we're supposed to be defined by our failure. I don't believe that our identity is defined by where we failed. Our identity, brothers and sisters, is found in the victory of Christ. You see, we can point. Yeah, we can point to our lameness. We can point to our limp, uh, limping. But what we're trying to do is show people that as we limp, we're still walking in the faith that we have in Christ. You see that? And because of that, I, 
I, I, I see God using Peter in unusual ways, not only on the day of Pentecost, but go with me to the book of Acts chapter 3. I want, to, I want you to underscore this, walking with a limp. Here's a man. After the resurrected Savior entered back into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 3, here's Peter and John, verse 1. They're going into the temple at the hour of prayer. And here in verse 2 is this man, a certain man, lame, lame, from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Now, this was a very common thing because there was no uh, social security program. There was no uh, uh, other way for these individuals to even, even have enough food to sustain them. They, they were beggars. And he's looking for sustenance. In the gate called Beautiful. In verse 3, seeing, here's old Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Don't you have something for the poor? Charity or an act of kindness for the poor. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him. I love this. Don't, don't you love this story? Uh, with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. <laughs> uh, that's right, you're listening. That's right. But such as I have give by thee. That's right. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Notice this, brethren. He didn't say in my name. He didn't say in the name of my church. He said in the name of Jesus. See, something happened to Peter. He's still going to limp, but he's going to walk in faith. He's going to point other people to Christ. And what happened? What happened to that man? What Children, what, what happened to that man on this occasion? He was walking and what? Leaping and what? And praising God. That's one of our youngest members, by the way. Uh, he was walking and leaping and praising God. He wasn't praising Peter. Peter's the one with the limp. But he was praising the God of Peter. Here's his identity. His identity is in Christ. His identity is in God's promise and God's power. And God's purpose in all of our afflictions. And he used that to point others to Christ. Now, Peter got in trouble. Remember? Peter and John got in trouble for this. Because remember, they did this uh, in the temple. And you're not supposed to talk about Jesus uh, in the temple. And uh, Jesus has been crucified. He's, he's no longer here. But uh, Peter uh, can't uh, stop from bragging on Jesus in chapter 3. Notice, um, uh, no, notice this. Um, I want to go down all the way to verse uh, 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, 
Remember, these are the very people that were responsible for convicting Christ. These are the ones that carried Christ to Pilate. These are the guilty uh, people that delivered Jesus to the Gentiles. Peter's filled with the Holy Ghost. He's not afraid of them. You see, because his identity is in Christ, right? Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day do be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, this lame man, this limping man, right? By what means is he made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ, see his identity, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. Hallelujah. This is the stone which the builders, uh, which was set at naught by you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Now watch verse 12. If you have your Bible and want to, read it out loud with me. Catch this. Let it sink down deep into our hearts this morning. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none of the name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that that verse is, is powerful to me. That, that verse is so indicative of um, God's solution to the limp that we all have by nature. I believe in the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. I, I want you to understand the Bible teaches that there is no other way to the Father. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way of acceptance with God other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither is there any other salvation. There is no other way. And brothers and sisters, understand, there, there's so much confusion on this in our world today. You know, you see these bumper stickers on, on cars that say coexist, and it's got all of these uh, religious symbols. And what they're expressing to us is that there's really no difference between the religions. We're all working to get to the same place in the same manner. Yeah, we all limp, but we all have our own solutions and our own remedies to get acceptance with the Father. But brothers and sisters, the authority of God's Word is so real and so true. There is only one way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except by me. If you're looking for another solution... If you're looking for another remedy, if you're looking for another way of salvation or another way to deal with your limp, you're lost. There's only one way, and that way is Jesus Christ. He's the object of our faith. He's the object of our love and our devotion. He's the object of our worship this morning. Him and Him alone. That's what Peter said. Peter, this limping servant, said there's no other salvation in any other name than the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. This is an exclusive salvation. It's exclusively Jesus Christ. And that message cannot be compromised. I want one last verse before we close our few remarks this morning, and it's found in Hebrews 11. We're going to go back to Jacob. 
Because in Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith, he's going to emphasize something here that I want to close with. You know, he talks about Abraham. He talks about his faith. He talks about Isaac. But then he comes to verse 21. And he talks about Jacob. Listen to this carefully. He says, By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. Have you ever wondered why that part of the story is there? Leaning upon the top of his staff. The reason that's there is it's reminding us that Jacob was a man that walked by faith, limping. He was weak on one side. And so are you. So am I. And in this weakness, though, he was able to bless, why why is this, both the sons of Joseph. You see, he blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, who became two tribes in Canaan, while only one tribe came from his brothers. He gave a double blessing upon the sons of, of, of Joseph, even before he knew what was going to happen to them years later. Because hundreds of years later, when Israel came out of Egypt, Egyptian bondage into the land of Canaan, the two sons of uh, Joseph received uh, uh, a double portion. How did Jacob know that? How did, how, how did this man know that that blessing was going to be upon Joseph? It was by faith. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul emphasizes this over and over again. He says we're walking with a limp, but we're walking by faith. We're walking by faith in what? Not faith in our political structure. Not, not, not faith, certainly. Not faith in men. Certainly not faith in ourselves. But faith in the God who has promised us. Unfailing promises. The God who has the power to bring about every one of those promises. And the God who has assured us that there's a sovereign purpose for every trial that we go through. I love what the, uh, William uh, Cooper uh, wrote about trials. This is what he said. He said, trials make the promise sweet. Trials bring new life to prayer. Trials lay us at Christ's feet. Bring us low and keep us there. I believe that's where Jacob lived and died. And I believe that's where we must. We must. Uh, come to that place, even though we're limping, we're walking by faith, trusting in the hand of the living God. May these few thoughts be of comfort to you today. God bless you.